0: Welcome like back to Cos internal monologue. In this episode we're going to be discussing Tower Swallows Chapter 8. So this is a, a nice aside chapter. A break from all the misery that Siri's going through and all the adventure shenanigans that Geralt and his company get up to. This is a political chapter. Uh, told entirely from uh, the perspectives of various minor characters in the political landscape of the ongoing war. Primarily Dijkstra, little bit of King Estrid Tyson, some, uh, some Sheila Tankerville, some Philippa Eilhart. Uh, but it's, it, you know, it, it's focused on the political ramifications of everything going on, as well as doing some world building. It's a nice break. Um, and... I always remember a bit of this chapter because of the the way in which uh, Sukowski plays with history in our real world and puts it in his fictional world. There are two ways in which this is done, this chapter. The story of Kovir is sort of a mixture of various different uh, historical events uh, from the leaving of the British Empire of the American colonies uh, and the formation of the United States of America to Venice in its relation to Italy. And there's this, this very interesting sort of joke he's got going where he's mixing some stuff and um and showing the absurdity on which history operates on that we think of it as these big major ground shaking earth shattering you know uh changes throughout time but they start small they always start small uh even the biggest changes you can go back you know months years etc and see the the small ball start rolling down the hill through the lens of understanding okay this led to this which led to this which led to this which eventually led to the big thing and so with cove you have ironically um someone who didn't care who was ignoring this side of uh, the potentialness of this area, and so let it, you know, slip by on its own, and it formed its own culture, its own meaning, its own worth, And which eventually led to it declaring independence. You know that is very uh, British Empire and the uh, and the original colonies of America, but there are other historical uh, avenues you can go down, different analogs. Uh, but maybe an american and knowing that that era of history pretty decently cuz i was taught it repeatedly you know that the, you know especially with his little aside about taxation it is so very clearly making fun of that but also they became you know this almost city state area uh, known for economics and wealth and uh you know that they have a layout linux has a layout that's very similar to venice and there's a historical background that's a mix of venice and some other places so it it, it's cool for him to show that he's shown some bits and pieces of that throughout uh the novels but this always sticks out to me as really hilarious um not only is it interesting world building for the the world of the witcher Uh, but also because it operates on many levels. You can have different people read this and they will attribute it to certain things. I attribute it primarily to uh, my knowledge of uh, the independence of the colonies uh, from the British Empire because I am American, but at the end of the day, someone else can read it and pull something else out of it. Again, there's the Venice Parallels that I can clearly see. Uh, you know, maybe some bits of India, etc. There there are various sections of history that you can pull through and find the analog. But I just think it's really funny because this kind of mistake is made throughout history. You know, um, the, the the king saw no reason for uh, Covier to be important. You know, it was just this small... Uh, you know, basically worthless piece of land that he gave to his brother so he would stop complaining. His brother built it up over time to become important. And, uh, you know, now it, it it's like Switzerland, too, of now it's pure neutrality. It refuses to take a side in any war and will finance both sides, whatever is the most convenient for it. It is far more concerned with uh, money than it is with anything else, uh, you know. Their very first treaty is nicknamed "the Sea is Free and Open," for a reason. And uh, there's this funny sense of irony to it, um, and the way in which uh, he builds up to the fact that basically Kovir is in a is between rock and a hard place. It cannot break its neutrality pact, and it already has a treaty with Nilfgaard. But at the end of the day, Nilfgaard is this existential threat. They're going to keep coming. Um, and, you know, what do you do about that? So they work out a way in which they can, uh, you know, finance the war, help out the North without officially helping out. Um, which is inherently hilarious. Uh, you know, th- this this merchant group, you know, in uh in who is from nilfgaard but financed by covier gets a lump sum of money That lump sum of money is then used to free political prisoners um and by pardons um and in which case the they are sent to the front lines so that basically everybody's hands look clean like if you look at it for 10 seconds you realize that this was just a political maneuver and it's very clear who was helping out who But the papers do not lie. And the papers say none of them were involved. And that's the thing, is that Sapkowski, as someone with a finance degree, as an accountant by trade, you know, he thinks about these kind of things. And with this... We're seeing that really come into focus. I mean, we saw it, especially in the early bits, where the bankers uh, they were noticing the increased purchase of wood, which was being shipped to shipyards, which they were being used to build boats. So the obvious conclusion is someone is preparing for war. But with this, you know, it it it's it, it's almost a Al Capone situation. Once again, being American. Was my primary source, you know, they couldn't they couldn't pin anything on Al Capone for years. It was a matter of looking at the books and realizing that you know he was uh you know he was uh sending certain money here and certain certain money here and tax evasion and uh, money laundering and that's what took him down. He was the biggest, most well known gangster. Um, you know, he wasn't particularly special compared to other gangsters, but he was infamous because he loved the limelight. More than anyone else. And so when you have this guy who's publicly flaunting that he is this important gangster and there's no way to legally take him down, they had to go through the books. And even then it was strenuous and it took a lot of uh, convincing to get there. You know, it's kind of this situation where the papers say one thing, but the person says another. And, you know, legality means the papers have to show the same thing. And so I, I think that's a really funny way um, and interesting way to look at the ways in which history has gone uh, from the formation of Covier's independent state to its economics. You know, it's very reflective of someone who has a finance degree, has looked at this and had noticed the games in which various countries, various leaders have played with each other over the years because of technicality. At the end of the day, running a country is just another business. It's about money, and it's about ensuring that your constituents, your customers, um, are satisfied. Um, Is there much of a difference between a country and a business? Yes, on a more grander scale, yes, there is. But if you boil it down to its bare-bone basics, they all have the same ideas you know, money and profit in ensuring customer satisfaction or constituent satisfaction, etc., And abiding by certain laws, ensuring that everybody works together, you know. And so when you have someone like Estrad who cheats running a country like a business, and uh, he even makes that joke to Dijkstra, you know, you make a very good spy, but you would never make a very good leader you know, of the way, the way in which Dijkstra thinks, because he's inherently a patriot, and that's both a good and a bad thing. A lot of good things have been done in the name of patriotism, and a lot of horrible things have been done in the name of patriotism. He believes first and foremost of his country, more than he believes in anything else, means that he's idealistic. And idealism does not help out in business. It also doesn't help out in uh, running a country, either. Uh, and so that that's, you know, it's a very cynical look, but it's also one I understand, and it's one with a lot of historical parallels, and it's just kind of inherently funny. Um, the other bit that Zubkavsky does to to hone in on the relation of this world and our own world is the good one. Uh, Lady Zulika, the queen of Kovir, highly religious woman, reads... The good book, you know, she reads several passages out of it. There is this question up in the air whether all uh, some of the passages she reads is true or not, because she's ultimately working for the lodge, and was in was given impetus to, you know, prod her husband into going a certain way. The the good book, is. You know, often used even now in the real world, is a synonym for the Bible. And while this isn't directly the Bible, because words such as gods are used and lebiota, which are very particular to this world, it has a sense of the Bible. Not only is it a bunch of morality tales. You know, even if you don't buy into the religion, I personally buy into a religion. I am a Christian, but at the end of the day, uh, the Bible or any other religious text is a set set of parables, you know, uh, moral tales uh, with religious connotations to guide you through your life. Um, And so, you know, a religious text is not only the the, the text of the religion, but also a sense of morality and justice and etc. And there's a lot of parallels potentially that this is the bible or at least a bastardization version of it because at the end of the day we do know you know you know because i have talked about it uh you know that humans are from another dimension no one belonged to this land that this land was immigrated to and taken over by various races throughout history as the construction of spheres happened so uh in effect This very well could be the Bible. And it was changed and bastardized over time to be different. I mean, the Bible we have now in 2022 is different from the Bible as it originally appeared. Because a bunch of priests decided to chop it up and use it to serve their own purposes. That's where we get the term canonicity or canon from. So... You know, in effect, we're reading a chopped up bastardized version of the Bible. Hell, I can't read any of the original languages, so I uh, read it in English. And that's a translated text. Translated text means that there are things that will be different, that will not translate well. I mean, this book series is Polish, and I've talked about that, and there's one very infamous one coming up that I'm going to talk about soon. And so at the end of the day you know how much of the bible i know is the real bible and that's where we have here the good book is maybe a bastardization of our own bible um it might be a separate thing but it takes influence from it and this prophet leviah that we've heard about th- uh, you know throughout the books um you know there will be a small excerpt in the prequel uh, regarding Leviota in Season of Storms. And it really draws the conclusion that Leviota is just another name for Jesus. And, you know, that, that this is... Because this is a world that comes from another world, that it is an amalgamation of ideas and cultures, etc., The things have been perverted over time. And uh, that inherently is interesting, that you have a world that has you know, changed itself, but also is of the past. We'll get more into that as more revelations are brought up, especially next book in regards to the dimensions and the way that works. But, uh, you know, it's, again, paralleling our own history uh, with this fictional history. Uh, you know, Zuleika's good book, you know, it was is it been used by her to justify to Estrad to do this deal with Redania. You know, and she was told by the launch to do this. So, you know, at the end of the day, it's being used for a purpose that it was never designed for, much like how the Bible itself has been used to justify heinous crimes, uh, and good deeds as well throughout history. The Crusades are horrible, they were they they had nothing to do with anything in the bible but they use the bible to justify it you know this kind of thing happens throughout history texts perverted and change for one's own benefit and the cycle of information is interesting because you have essentially vadier gets his orders from umir uh vadier leaks the information to his honeypot the being Kantriala, who gives the information to Asarifah Enid. sarifa Aenid gives the information to the Lodge. The Lodge gives this information to Sheila de Tankerville. Sheila de Tankerville gives it to Zuleika. Zuleika gives it to Estrad. Estrad gives it to Dijkstra. And Dijkstra thus spreads the information to the North. So you have, basically, the North is working together as one homogenous idea and some bits and pieces of Nufgard as well without really knowing it the launch is actually as the middle ground and the mirror even suspects this uh, when he finds out you know stefan's glenn has disappeared he blames vetty for that and then realizes that vetty davido probably has a leak somewhere in his organization and that maybe there's another organization working behind that leak Um, that the spreading of information is what's important. As with everything, um, you know, the first casualty of war is the truth. First and foremost, it's always the case with war. Misinformation, lies, deceit, all of it is spread by every side to ensure its superiority in some way or another. And that has only become increasingly more noticeable in our modern day. Um, you know, with modern wars fought in, uh, in the ways in which things can be tweeted out on social medias like Twitter and Facebook, and how a lot of this information may may really not be real. And it's hard to discern, and it's all about piecing together. The first casualty of war is the truth. And so having this information network, some of it's true, some of it's not, but it's needed for everybody to work together. And at the end of the day, you have... You know, people probing things like the lodge to go a certain way. Sheila de Tankerville was sending dreams to Estrad to convince him that Tankred should probably marry Siri because, at the end of the day, that's what the plan for the launch is. Tankred is relatively smart, but he is known to be easily, uh, easily moved in certain directions. He's hanging with a bad crowd. He's chasing skirts right now. They're going to. Get rid of that, but they're going to keep the fact that he's easily malleable so that they can plant Ciri there, and Ciri will be uh, the de facto leader. As is pointed out uh, in the conversation between Dijkstra and Estred, that, at the end of the day, Tancred will not make a good king, and they know it. And so the future of Kovir lies somewhere else. And that's that's the entire ordeal there. And then at the end, at the tail end of this chapter, we get a nice little flash to the future. Um, It's uh, because you have a conversation between Estred and Dijkstra, and they talk about, you know, that they, uh, they believe they're doing good, and they know that maybe sometime this will come out, and right now it's convenient for them to be friends, but maybe not so in the future. And that... Uh, justice in this world seems to be led by people who take first and foremost their own personal uh, power first. Uh, that that want gain out of everything. Um, people like them, they admit it. You know, as because Astrid has proved that Yennefer is not a traitor, and uh, Dijkstra says it's it's. More convenient for me right now than she is. So we get a flash of the future in which they both recall this, you know, uh, conversation that there should be some fucking justice in this world. As Estrad is murdered by assassins, most likely on Deekster's orders, then at the end of the day, this did come out, and it was convenient at the time for them to be partners, but in the future, it is not. Convenience, not friendship. Not truth, convenience for one's own gain. And the sad thing is, Estrad truly loved his wife. As the excerpt at the beginning says, the king truly loved his wife. She loved him. But is that really enough? And as we know, Zuleika was manipulating him to go a certain way because she cared greatly for her son. And the lodge was holding that over her. And now we see that he died. He could have easily held off the assassins, but he died to ensure that Zuleika is safe. Love is both beautiful and blinding. That it is both wonderful and miserable. There's a line in Babylon 5 that I, uh, that I pointed out was really good, is Sheridan at one point says, you know, it is the moral obligation of all prisoners to escape. And uh, Lornean goes, what if you're a prisoner of love? Is it your moral obligation to escape? And it points out the irony there that love is something unknowable, that it is something that enwraps you, that makes you act in certain ways, and you're trapped by it, both for good and for ill. That everything is a matter of convenience. And convenience is what makes the world run round, just like money. I'll see you next time. Till then, bye.